0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, it's that time of year where we are trying to organize and prep and plan for the upcoming season. And some of the gear that we use takes batteries. Now, you should go visit your local Interstate Battery store or visit interstatebatteries.com to check out all the different varieties of batteries that they offer. They have Truck batteries, they have batteries for your trail cameras, they have batteries for your rangefinder and everything else that is electronic that you use for your hunting equipment, they have batteries for that. Interstatebatteries.com, awesome company, check them out.
1: Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 53, Kent Rollins, Live Fire and Camp Cookin'. Nick is joined by Kent Rollins, a true American cowboy, rustling cattle and cooking over open flame. We talk about his experience at the Chuck Wagon and how it made him the camp cook that he is today. From cooking for elk hunters to competing on the TV show Chopped, Kent talks about making food for good, hardworking folks. Got an elk camp, deer camp, or trout camp coming up? Take some pointers from Kent and how to get kitted out in cooking on your next adventure fire up the coals. Let's get started. Well, hey folks, man, it's already steamy here in Michigan. It's like we're talking to somebody from Oklahoma. The gentleman that's actually joining us today is an authority of embers and flame. He could take an old armadillo and turn it into something incredible, kind of like a landlocked lobster. His kitchen can be wherever the uh, hungry cowboys are needing some rib stick and grub. Folks, we are joined by Kent Rollins today. Kent, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your day today.
2: Hey, my friend. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's it's good to sit somewhere in the air conditioner for a little bit because we film nearly every day, so it's going to stand by a fire sometime today. So it's good to soak up some air conditioner today.
1: There you go. Well, hey, while I got you here, I'll do a quick uh, wardrobe change. I am pulling my my wool Stetson off the there wall. I figure if I'm gonna if I'm gonna talk to the man, I might as well look look part look the part here.
2: Look better, it does.
1: <laughs> um. Now, is your is yours felt or wool? What's your cap made out of?
2: It's it's felt. Uh, good friend of mine in uh, Utah makes some Chaz Mitchell. Uh, I've entertained with his dad a lot through the years. He's a great cowboy poet, and Chaz Chaz's been making my hats for about four or five years now, and I'm.
1: Gotcha. Now, I know when I'm like, I tried to shape mine long ago. And then after a while, I said, you know what, it looks too perfect. And then I just kind of let it do its own thing. In fact, I've seen my left side kind of roll up, I must be leaning on that left side. Do you shape yours? Or do you just kind of let her do what she wants to do?
2: Sort of knows what what I want out of a hat when I get it. And uh, most of them are pretty well come sort of shaped, but I'll steam them and shape them some more. And then usually about a about a year of smoke and sweat and it sort of just uh shapes itself
1: <laughs> continually being brined by that yep. uh, weather you were talking about so yeah we get a chance to talk with you i want a little bit know a little bit about your backstory um you've mentioned before you're from oklahoma you grew up on a working cattle ranch or a working cattle farm is that correct
2: yeah we were farming ranch uh lived down there on the all pretty close to the banks of the red river and uh just grew up uh, knowing that it was the best life ever. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to get to work around some of the, the greatest old men as cowboys and women who were cooks. And both of them taught me equally valuable lessons. And uh, it was something that uh, sort of stuck a hold on both of them. And uh, uh, I, I never forget the lessons I learned. I wished I have just had a tape recorder when I was about eight years old and recorded a lot of what them old men said to me, because a lot of it I forgot.
1: It's amazing. The stuff that we forget could be written in books. And especially yes, when you gain absolutely. that experience um, working at our family's turkey farm, I've, I've done the same thing. Uh, just being able to take a situation where something is broken down and you don't have the luxury of being yep. able to wait for a part. You got to cobble something back together because the job needs to be done now. And I'm sure that's the same way when you're on the range. All the he- all the cattle could got to get in. You can't leave one behind. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you, you learned to MacGyverize a whole bunch of stuff and use duct tape and baling wire. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
1: um, so as you said, growing up, you were watching both uh, the men and the women. When did the cook side, when did you make that transition from uh, being just the full-time cowboy uh, on the horse to actually jumping in on the chuck wagon?
2: Well, I went to – I had a little – little pause in it there for a while, and in 1980, I went to the Gila Wilderness and uh, was a guide and a cook for elk hunters for about, oh, six seasons, and uh, when I got out of there, uh, I allowed that, hey, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back and get horseback every day. It's something I dearly love, but uh, I got an old, found an old chuck wagon, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to cook for some ranches uh, when they're working cattle because I'd eat off a lot of wagons. Some of them were really good. Some of them were really bad, uh, you never, never complained because that just wasn't proper. But, uh, when I got started, Cowboys respected me a lot because I'd cooked, uh, on both sides of the fire. i had been on the branding fire side and I've been on the cooking fire side. So it was pretty easy transition for me.
1: Well, good deal. Yeah. The whole style of where you've been able to be, uh, with, with the Chuck wagon, um, and just on both sides of that it's so nostalgic and it's just pure Americana, um, And that's the way you were brought up when, when you're looking at one of these Chuck wagons are, is it something like you said, you had several of them that you've worked with. Is that something that's just pre put together or pre kitted out by someone? Or is it a stage where you become, you basically make it your own at that point, you start kitting it out with what you want
2: in it. Well, you can get them either way. You know, there's, there's still wagon makers out there that take uh, old, old wagons and redo them. Uh, Studebaker was about the only company that I ever knew of. They made wagons long before they made pickups and cars, and uh, you could order a complete chuck box in a Studebaker wagon. Uh, But most any wagon could become a chuck wagon. You just slip the grain boards out the back and build you a chuck box and slide it in there, and you're ready to go. But uh, they're still out there. Uh, you know, there's still some old authentic wagons that are hidden in barns. And I've seen some in pastures when we'd be in different places that are just really rotted plumb down to the ground, you know, that are just sitting there, just old treasures. But uh, I'm glad there's people that like to redo them. You know, we, we redid ours, old 91, I guess. And uh, it's sort of like a four-year maintenance plan you find something you go back to work on it you can't just pull it into one of them easy go oil changes and go to work on it you know it's a little different than that
1: yeah you can't pull off a a wood rim and just expect to find Uh another one on a shelf that's right well hey we've been going off on, on the um the wagon side of it i do want to pull us back a little bit and um i i wanted to talk to you a little bit about this one of my favorite tv shows that um Actually, that you were on is that show Chopped, and specifically the whole Grill Master series that was going on. In fact, that's what I was watching earlier this week to just kind of get myself jazzed up for our conversation today. Um, what was your experience like being on a, a television series where now you're expected to cook something in a competitive level at that way or in that way? What uh, what was that feeling like?
2: Well, you know, I've, I rode bulls, uh, professionally for a long time and, uh, people had asked me, did you ever get nervous? And I said, Oh, a little, not bad. You know, it's, it's, it's 90% mental and 10% physical. But, uh, when you go to a chopped grill master tournament, you know, they, they called me and said, Hey, can't you haven't applied for this? And I said, I, I didn't know nothing about it. Well, we need you to come, you know, this, this is something you do. And I said, I ain't never even seen the show. So, uh, Shan pulled one up on the computer, and we watched an old one, and I looked at her, and I said, I ain't, I ain't going to do that. I said, them people crazy, you know. I don't even know what them groceries are, much less can I cook them. And she said, I think it, it'd do you good. And I thought about it for three or four days, and I called that casting lady back, and I I told her, I said, I, I'll be there, sugar. And uh drove out there is a long way to Tucson from here. You know, you got got a lot of time of thinking, and you, things run through your mind that, you know, hey, I don't have any culinary training. Uh, You know, my training has come from old women and old men and my mother and standing by a fire for 30-something years, and uh, I'll just cook. And Shan told me, she said, when you feel fire, you'll be okay. And uh, I didn't know what was in them baskets most of the time, but I'd taste it, and I'd think, well, you know, that sort of tastes like cabbage or this sort of tastes like that, and then you just go to blending. But uh, um, when you have 20 minutes to fix an appetizer, it's fast, you know, especially when there's ingredients in there that you don't know and you don't, you can't say, well, I might try this and I might try that. Ain't gonna happen. You better go with your original thought because you ain't got time to change it, you know. And it, and I had a lot of, a lot of them folks, you know, that said, hey, we don't know how you got here, you know. And uh, I'd look at them, i say, I drove. That's how I got here, you know. But it's, uh, it's a show that I, I really loved. Uh, they're great. It was their largest outdoor production at the time. i still got great friends that are on that crew and, uh, and Ted Allen and Amanda, great friends of mine now, but it's, uh, one of them deals where people still tell me, we don't remember who won first, but we remember who won second, you know, and it was a very trying three days, you know, and, uh, mornings, would they'd come get you at four 30 in the morning. And if you won, you wouldn't get back to motel till about 11 at night. And, uh, 3 days in a row of that and standing up all day uh, was good to get back to southwest oklahoma
1: <laughs> i imagine yeah i sitting on even on our side like i see some of those baskets get get opened up and we could just watching you you could feel the confusion off of one you know like the fennel you were like i i ain't used this ever and just I the way you were myself. able to incorporate that into a slaw and be able just to be on your toes that was great and i think just even as um home cooks that we have that we get these ideas just kind of watching folks like you, where we watch the show. You know what? I'm going to get outside my comfort zone. You know, yeah. Kent can do it. Maybe I can do it.
2: That's what it takes. And Shan told me, she said, you know, one of the reasons that you did so well on that, uh, the way we cook, especially on ranches and stuff, and you might be there five weeks, there's a lot of unknowns a lot of variables, you know, mother nature's in charge and you can have plan A, B, and C, but you better throw them out the window and get to X, Y, and Z because it's going to, something's going to happen, does nearly every day, but you learn from that. And, uh, she told me, she said, you improvise better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. And I said, well, there's about 12 or 15 cowboys depending on us to eat and we're going to eat no matter the weather, you know, and it's, uh, one of them deals where I remember telling Ted Allen after the show there one time we finished and he said, I've never seen somebody put this much heart and soul into something in my life. And I said, thank you, Ted. I said, this is just like everyday living. I said, y'all try to complicate it with some unknown ingredients, but I said, life is simple. And I said, so you just go with it, have a good time. And that's what it did.
1: That's awesome. You mentioned that you uh, took a break and you went down from, uh, from ranching and went and, uh, Worked uh, worked in the field. You were down in the Gila, you said, the yeah. the desert down there, chasing elk, or at least cooking for guys who were chasing yeah. elk. Um, are you a hunter or angler,
2: Kent? Well, I did for years. You know, growing up, uh, we, we did a lot of, if you shoot it, you're going to eat it. That's what my daddy taught me, you know, and I didn't eat but one crow in my life. They don't taste <laughs> real good. But uh, we learned to, you know, you live off the land. And uh, there wasn't a lot of fishing in, in our part of the country for a long time. And then there become stock ponds, you know, and, and places that people had fish stocked in. And we'd keep a freezer full of fish, you know, when we got old enough that we could go. And uh, and we always hunted. We used to have a lot of bobwhite quail in this country. And we, we'd we have a lot of quail, a lot of rabbit. Uh, deer never did come into this part of the world till, oh, in the middle 80s. You know, We got a then they sort of took over. And uh and I like venison, eat a lot of elk, you know, moose, uh eat a lot of bison. Um uh, but hey, uh if it's crawled on the ground or li- or slithered by, I I probably eat it.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Now I was making a joke earlier about the armadillo. Uh have you cooked down armadillo? Is that something you've prepared before?
2: Uh, a friend of mine, we were hunting, he used to make my bull ropes and we were in southeastern Oklahoma, uh bow hunting one time for deer, and he We'd set up camp that evening, and there's an armadillo out there about 60 yards, and Don made uh, longbows, and he was a good shot. I mean, I, there's a lot of people compared him to Fred Bear because I've seen him shoot things that I didn't even know you could exist when he could hit an aspirin, you know. And uh, he shot that armadillo, and he said, here, you can cook this for supper. I said, I, I don't think I'm going to have that. He said, yeah. He said, it's a possum on the half shell. He said, if you put enough fire on it, it'll be good to eat. But uh, I just never did acquire taste for them.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, they they resemble our possums up here. That you know, they just kind of. I like them because they eat the ticks, but that's pretty much the only reason. I'm going to give them a wide berth.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: like I said, um, binge watching uh, Kent Rollins. It, you've been um, somebody that I've I know that I've uh, got a chance to enjoy. Just both either on the television or on the YouTube channel. And what I've noticed is that when Kent Rollins makes food. Calories are not a question. We don't worry about that. There's heavy cream. There's whole milk. There's big steaks. There's lard in the biscuits. I've heard it be said that, uh, you know, you, when you cook, you can have as many calories as you want because you have to burn all that energy just to put into making that food. When you're, well. when you're making grub for these uh, guys— or gals or whoever's working out their farm, you're, you're really putting something together. That's going to hold them through the whole day. Am I right?
2: Yeah. You know, we start early, a lot of ranches, especially in the spring, you know, have breakfast four 30. So that means I'm getting up at two 15, two 30 to start. But a uh, cowboy burns a lot of calories, you know, uh, not that old horse is, is probably burning more, but a cowboy when he's on the ground and they're doing, they're doing branding or do, doing something like that. There's a lot of energy that takes place. And, uh, and they expect me to keep them full, you know. And and me and Shan do that. Uh, we send them off uh, to do bovine battle every morning, and they they got a full stomach. And I know when they come in at lunch, if they don't have a long long afternoon, they'll eat pretty heavy at lunch. But uh, they'll tell me, you know, hey, we're we're probably not, we'll be in at lunch, and it'll maybe seven o'clock before we get back. Well, you know, you sort of go light on lunch and. Um, and light to us on lunch is maybe two chicken fried steaks, two helpings and mashed potatoes and, and beans, biscuits and cobbler. You know, that's light. <laughs> and uh, then at night we'll cover them up with a 16 ounce bony and ribeye or something like that. But uh, it does take a lot of calories. And people ask me and they say, you know, I don't I don't I don't know how you don't weigh 400 pounds with all that food. I, I, I've seen it so long, you know, that I I do eat some of it. Uh, but we give a lot of it away. There's so many people around here that that need a bite to eat that we take it to them. And when you stand by a fire year round, uh, it'll come off of you. I promise.
1: Yeah. And just like we'll, we'll be when it's busy here at the Turkey farm or if it's, if it's mid season where I'm chasing whitetails, like a big helping of biscuits and gravy at the beginning of the day yeah. is always a good way to get me through. And you know, lunch, lunch may not happen and just doing the nine to five um i'm a phys ed teacher for an elementary school it's kind of like chasing cattle at that point
2: yeah, i uh, imagine
1: <laughs> yeah i try to keep things light at lunch but i can definitely tell when my activity level goes down and my calorie intake is the same yeah i start to feel my waistline get a little bigger but it's amazing how you need that fuel to keep going throughout the the whole day
2: yeah day, days are long and nights are short most of the time you know we're sure. We'll go to bed of an evening as quick as we can and get the dishes washed. And cowboys are good enough that, uh, and admires, uh, and are like family to us on most of them ranches. And they'll, they'll wash dishes at supper time. and me and Shannon sort of get a little earlier start towards bed. But, uh, you never, you never complain about it because we have the greatest view in the world at our kitchen window. You know, we've seen things that people won't never see in life and we've been places that they can't find. And, uh, that is some of the the greater joys that God has blessed us with.
1: Amen. Amen. Going with your kitchen, your kitchen is basically pop up wherever it can go. Yeah, you've got the one that at the, at the house there, um, but with that chuck wagon, it's literally you throw the canvas up and you can start working right from a set spot. Um, I know here and just with our our modern day chuck wagons. Uh, my family loves to go out and enjoy the outdoors. We bring along a camper, and you know we got the truck, and it does make things a little bit uh, easier that we don't have to fuel the horse to, to take us where we need to. We got a pre-set up shop, and in fact, they were nice enough to even lay out where my fire is going to be. But when you're setting up a, a kitchen, do you have uh, a set way that it's got to be staged up, or when you're getting a fire ready, is is it something that you start with? with wood or are you full in on on charcoal
2: well I, I try to keep things the same you know when you when you pull up to a camp and on all all ranches there's a designated camp spot that old cook has been camping in for for many years we cooked on the bell ranch for quite some time and them old camps were the same ones they used back in the early 1900s even late 1890s you know the same places and a very historic place and uh we'd pull a wagon in there with the team and go to setting up camp and you you try to keep it convenient you know i don't want to have to walk too far to get from uh, the fire box to the chuck box but at the same time you don't want that fire licking you in the butt while you're trying to work there on the chuck box you know and i always try to figure in the wind especially if it's uh if it's going to blow smoke in my eyes all day you know i'm going to try to get that uh, that fire set to where i'm not having to breathe it so much but uh I've burnt about every tree in the United States, I think, <laughs> uh, at one time or another. You know, on old ranches, you, they may be dragging up old cedar posts, uh, anything that you can find. You know, but uh, we use a lot of hardwood lump too, especially in some of our videos because it's it's quicker, it's easier. And uh, I've cut enough wood to fill up every boxcar in the world, but uh, I still don't love it like I used to. But uh, one thing I've never never used and never will, and that's a briquette. You know, there's just too many foreign substances in there. And uh, when I when people talk about live fire, I don't see a fire. You know, I don't want to be able when you stick your hand out there at that grill, it's hot, and you can see them flames. Because people in uh, forever and ever it goes back uh, before longer. Me and you can count have always been awed by fire. You know, and when when they finally figured it out that you could cook something on it, hey, it's the greatest invention ever.
1: You betcha. Yeah, there's something about it. Just even making a whole day of it. Well, granted, you know, if you got work to do, it's, it's not uh, something you got to, or it's, you got work to do. You're going to be off doing that. But we'll, when we get the family together and be able to start basically to be able to start dinner right around lunchtime where I'm taking those, those uh, seasoned log law or the seasoned Oak logs and starting those up on the campfire so that I've yeah. got a bed of coals ripping by five o'clock. And yeah. at the same time we stop, we eat, and the, now the bed is still sitting there, so the kids run over with the marshmallows. It's something that does. It's a it's a labor of love. I love to hear what you say, even about when I'm setting up camp. I'm even looking at the wind. I'm going to toss some grass up. I'm going to figure out where that smoke's going because I didn't even think about that to have you know my my uh, chuck wagon or chuck box on the right side of the fire. That's that's definitely experience talking right there.
2: Well, I've I've breathed more smoke than I want to, you know, and there's a. Uh... A lot of times, especially if it's in the winter, when you pull that, that canvas off or set up that fly, what we call the tarp over the wagon, uh, you can wall it in, you know, and then you just got a great big old wall tent and that smoke can eat you up in there if old Bertha ain't growing right, but uh, always try to face it to where, you know, I'm going to have a north or a south wind uh, nearly every day in this part of the country and uh, in the winter and then Summertime, you're going to get a lot of southwest. And um, I just assume the neighbors smell the smoke as me. There you go.
1: Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntaboard, or Instagram, at Huntaboard. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at huntaboard at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. I sent you a photo of my rendition of a chuck box. And when I put this together, I found some plans online, but then now it came to the time where I want to kit it out. And the whole idea behind this chuck box is just like your wagon. I want to have my kitchen self-contained, that I literally kit it out, to put the stuff that I need in it, throw it in the back of the truck, and I don't have to think about it until we come home, that I'm going to you know, have to pull things out or change stuff. But it's just always at the ready. When I, when I was putting that together, you know, and instead of the WWJD bracelet, I was thinking, what would, what would Kent Rollins do? And I'm trying to think of all the bits and pieces that I want to put into this box. When somebody's kitting out a chuck box or a chuck wagon or just even having their portable kitchen ready for elk camp, deer camp, trout camp, whatever that's going to be, what are going to be some mainstays that guys should be thinking about when putting that together?
2: Well, you know, I, I've i got some open storage in mind where you can slide in. Uh, I use old cream cans that hold my flour and sugar. They got a good lid on them, everything's tight, but you gotta have enough drawers that you can hold what you need as far as utensils, measuring spoons, rolling pins, knives, because I learned a long time ago, sure, I can leave some knives out in places, but if there's any humidity or air in there and I've got a bunch of old knives, you just asking for rust to get a hold. So I always try to store knives in a drawer But you want to have something, too, that's big enough that you can slide bulk coffee in, you know, five pounds of flour, a jug of oil. How tall do them drawers need to be? They need to be tall enough that when that's sitting in there, it ain't hitting the lid when you try to throw it back in there and slide the shelf in. So make it easy, but make it feasible. But always make sure, hey, I know this will fit in that drawer before you cut that last one and slide it in there.
1: Good deal. Yeah, when I was putting mine together, I kind of went with your same thing. I was going to make little wooden drawers, but uh, my wife gets a lot of stuff from Amazon, so I ended up just cutting up the cardboard box to save save some weight. Because uh, yeah. a- after a while, I do have a cast iron pan that I put in there, and I mean, the more stuff that I think I need, it's all of a sudden getting heavier and heavier. Yeah. It went from a one man job to definitely a two man to get this thing yeah. back out of the out of the truck. Yeah. Um. Now, I also got a neat little, uh, I got a friend who who makes and sells cast aluminum. Uh, it's, it's, its pores are sealed, uh, so it's similar. Well, I, no, you don't have to seal it, because it is sealed up. It's not like the cast iron that has the pores. Yeah. Um, but that's my standalone Dutch oven, and it's a real small unit, um, and it really does save the weight for me. Uh, just being on the go with the camping situation. And I really enjoy that. But what I've seen from you as well is that cast iron is King. That is something that you've been able to not only use in your truck wagon, but man, you use in your own kitchen. And I think people think cast iron and Kent Rollins in the same sentence. Have you been using cast iron since the beginning?
2: Yeah, it's all we've ever had. It's what we grew up with. It's handed down from grandma, you know, uh, it's something that if you take care of it, it'll outlive anything you got, and uh, it's the healthiest thing you can eat out of. You know, it's something that uh, is going to give you back some iron in your system, especially if you're baking a lot of goods in it. Uh, and it's something that is, um, I would say, versatile, but also an investment. You may think it costs a little something, but it's going to pay you back every meal you cook out of it. And uh, when you get it seasoned right, they're probably more economical than anything else if you're cooking in the house on a gas stove or electric either, because when that iron is hot, you can turn that heat down. Uh, You know, there's so many things that you can do with it from searing to baking. A skillet can be a, a lot of things, not just something to fry in.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing how we've tried to find so many space age or just be able to find different materials to, you know, this is good to cook on. No, 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 this one's good to cook on, but it seems to be always coming back to that cast iron. Um, I did have a talk with another friend on on cast iron and we got to talking about what are the what are the don'ts? You know, we've always we've all heard the do's on what to do with cast iron. You know you want to make sure you get a lick of oil in there and um, heat, you know heat your pan enough so that it gets into the pores. And then you can wipe it off so it's not sticky and you keep it seasoned as you go along with and it it pays you back like you're you're referring to. But there's two two things that I've heard. One is that you don't want to cook tomatoes or tomato sauce in a cast iron. Or you don't want to boil water. Are those misconceptions, or is that things that we should be concerned about?
2: Well, I don't boil water in any seasoned cast iron that I have, because when you continuously boil water in there, you're loosening your, your seasoning. And then it begins to sort of get a oil slick on top, and people want to know why the water looks black. Or a lot of people cook beans in them, and they'll end up with a little black discoloration there on, on there because you're boiling a water-based substance. Uh, I've got pots that we, uh, we've we had forever, them old 40 gallon wash pots that they use to render hogs in and everything else. And, and they're not they're not a seasoned cast iron, they're a polished iron. They just keep enough oil on them to keep them from rusting, but you can do anything in the world with them. As far as acid-based foods, it's hard on cast iron. It is, especially new cast iron. I've got some that are 35, 40 year old Dutch ovens that you can cook anything in the world with them. Is it hard on it? Yeah. But every time you use a piece of cast iron, you clean it, you dry it, you heat it, you oil it, and it'll be good. And, and oils have changed through the years. My mother used lard and bacon grease forever and ever, you know, and, and I did too. Uh, now I probably use more grapeseed and avocado oil than anything out there. A lot of my old stuff sure is still gets a little olive oil uh, because it's just sweet as butter. But um, when you can get them finished right, hey, there ain't no trouble to take care of.
1: Oh, good deal. That's good to hear because I do like to make. Um, I got a a meatball that I make out of mine, and I do love to pour the tomato sauce in there. And that's uh, my buddy Cast Iron Steve. He's uh, that's he's he's made the choice to kind of go along with you, where he only uses cast iron. He was like, "Oh, I would be really careful with with all that tomato in there." So it's good to know that at least I'm being hard on the seasoning at that point. Once I'm done, yeah. like just like you were saying, wipe it out. Get it clean, get it dry, and then add the oil back in to keep, make sure that I keep that seasoning on there.
2: Yeah, but you want to you make sure also that people uh, don't misunderstand us. Don't do this in new iron. I, I'm talking iron that you've had six weeks or maybe six months, you know, because it will get back down to metal. Uh, and anytime you eat out of a piece of cast iron that tastes like metal, and I've done it on different things and been in places where people have served me some, uh, it's just uh, from lack of seasoning. You know, or you're cooking, they'd be cooking a lot of acid based with a lot of fruit and cobblers are, you know, got a lot of acid in them. So it is hard on new stuff.
1: Gotcha. So as I'm going through and I've got, you know, I've been using mine now, I think I'm, the one is definitely I'm running on three years right now. And I make sure to get it oiled each time. Um, Is that considered then a seasoned or is that still on the newer side?
2: No, I would say that's seasoned if you use it regular. You know, we've got, I've got two skillets down here in the house that are every three day, three-time-a-day use. You know, that's—sure, uh, we trade off every once in a while, but there's some old Griswolds and Wagners that were handed down. Um, they smooth as glass, uh, slide egg out of them any time. But, you know, if you've been using something six or, I'd say, at least eight months every day, maybe even six months if it's everyday use, I wouldn't worry about it.
1: Gotcha. Is there a—no, I, I get a new one. I go and I get myself a. Actually, I need a griddle, so I go get get myself a griddle. Should I just go ahead and find a process where I just basically season it for a while, where it's I go through several heat ups, several uh, times where I've add the oil, or is it just just cook on it and that'll be sufficient enough? Or is there a process you go through with new iron?
2: Well, I don't have any new iron, uh, hadn't had none in forever, sure. I mean, some of these companies send us iron and, and we we do a little test on it, but uh, a lot of the iron, it's hard to even find a bare piece of cast iron anymore. Uh, everything comes what they call pre-seasoned. It's a polymerized coating of oil that's put under uh, very high pressure to high heat, you know, that bonds to it and, and it's rough, it feels sort of like a truck bed liner on most of that stuff. And eventually, you can build up enough seasoning layer over there to where it is smooth as glass but i don't wait i don't want to wait till eventually that might be a year from now you know i I want to start uh and if i get a new pan and if it's pre-season i'll just take some 80 grit sandpaper and just smooth it out i'm not going down to bare metal i'm just taking the rough off and then i'll wash it good and this will be the only time you hear me say it i put soap in it and i rinse it because i want to get all that washed out good then it goes back to a heat source and, uh, it'll get dried out well and it'll get seasoned inside, outside, set on a cookie sheet in the oven, 350 to 400 degrees for about 45 minutes to an hour, let it cool off on its own time. Uh, do that about three days in a row. And then I love to deep fry in one for about two weeks because when you can remain an oil constant temperature of 350 degrees in there, you're just adding good seasoning to it. But, uh, you know, I have cooked in them right out of the box just to show people. Hey, you know, you can do this, but a lot of times it's going to stick, especially because it's got such an uneven, rough surface in it.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I liked where you just said you actually take a little bit of eighty grit sandpaper just to take that edge off. Um, yeah. Are you doing? You're doing that on on new stuff that you're getting? Um, as I'm building oil, or as I use it more. Is it going to start to glass up? Is it going to start to get that, color, that uh, sheen that I'm looking for as I build up the oil?
2: Yeah, as you, as you continue cooking with it and season it proper, it, and it don't happen over, overnight or even in three cookings. I get a lot of people and questions from YouTube. People ask me, they say, you know, my skillet is sort of a bronze color or it's sort of, sort of spotted in places. And they're not going to turn just glossy black instantly. You know, it it takes some use and some time. The more you use it, the more you cook with it, the faster it's going to get there. But uh, it will eventually get to that point. uh, Just keep using it. Like I say, deep frying it. It loves to fry some taters. It is good for it.
1: Awesome. Well, I've come down to the crescendo of our show here. Uh, That's a
2: big word, buddy.
1: It is. That means this is the high point that we're uh, that we're ready to go. Um, I call it my two dish breakdown, but I'm actually gonna add a third one in for you, Kent, um, being that you're uh, you're a chopped champion or ch- chopped runner up here. I'm gonna make sure that uh, I give you uh, the real breakdown here. You're gonna have to really tell me what's uh, what's going on here. First one is. You know, we we do a lot of work up here in the north, but at the same time, we still struggle at making a biscuit. Help me decide, help me know how to make a cowboy biscuit.
2: Well, you know, I grew up uh, on two types of biscuits. That was a buttermilk biscuit and a sourdough biscuit. And uh, I found out traveling in in the last 35 years, uh, biscuits are different wherever you go. In the cooking method. Uh, and really the making method changes just a little. If you're at elevation, always add a little baking soda to your bacon powder. It's going to help your biscuits rise. You know, And if you're using a sourdough, uh, we don't use a, a traditional sourdough. We use what we call a quick start, and it's got yeast in it because traditional sourdough just gets it from the air. But make sure your yeast is good. Always look and make sure that you proof it. And that works, soon too, as well in, uh, in a buttermilk biscuit as well. But uh, they've got to have enough oil in them that they're not going to be dry. My grandmother could make the driest, hardest biscuit in the world. You could kill a squirrel with it if you could hit him. and uh, But she never changed the recipe. She just made old bacon powder biscuits, which are just just bacon powder, salt, a little milk, and uh, that's it. She wasn't going to put no more with it, you know, on some flour. But I learned through the years if you can keep a biscuit good and moist, the dough is um, is the right feel and texture. You're going to have a light, fluffy biscuit. And a lot of times, biscuits are biscuit dough is overworked. You know, you don't you don't need biscuits. You need bread dough. You need pizza dough. But you don't need a biscuit because when you work it, the drier and tougher it becomes.
1: Gotcha. So you you almost would just get incorporated. And then get it out onto your, your board where then you can cut it out. You're not needing to, to work it. You don't want to incorporate that more.
2: I don't want it to stick to my hands to where I can uh, not get rid of it. But I want to leave some moisture in there. That way when you pull that biscuit apart and you look and there's those tiny little holes all the way in it, that's air. And that's what it needs, you know. And you can cover that up with some gravy and hey, it's a holiday every day.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. My my mom does a pretty darn good biscuit, but it's again one of those things like I probably forgot some of the steps that she was doing, and I look at the piece of paper, and it's hard translating that piece of paper to what actually she was doing doing with that. I'm sure there's she's got more love in it that uh, that I'm putting in, so maybe that I need to add a little more love into it, and maybe some moisture.
2: And that can be it doesn't have to be oil; it can be butter. You know, uh, I've used lard, i used bacon grease, uh, but it's, you know, we have a very easy biscuit recipe on our YouTube channel, just biscuits and gravy, and it's it doesn't even have a rise time, and uh, but it has a lot of butter in it, and they sure are good eating.
1: Your second dish, this one's going to take a little more thought, and you're going to have to go back to your uh, your Gila days and uh, your, um, your being being an outdoorsman. Um, when you're pit cooking, when you're at the live fire and let's say a guy comes in and he's got, he's got elk. I know it's, you got to let it hang. You can't, it's hard to cut a, cut a piece of meat off and cook it right up there. But when you're creating a venison dish, either whitetail or elk or something of that nature, what is your favorite dish made with venison? And how are you preparing that?
2: Well, if, if I do it at home, and I still do, and I, I've done it for a lot of hunters and camps, um, I, I love to to let that meat sit, if I can, for six or seven days in an ice chest full of water. And when it turns white, it is ready, you know, because what happens to game so many times, and y'all know it up there in y'all's country, uh, is how it's took care of when it hits the ground. That's the main thing, you know. Uh, How do you clean it? How are you taking care of it? You know, beef ages anywhere from 14 to to 30 days. I like 21 on it myself, but I've eaten a lot of dry-aged beef, too. That was 80 days. But I have aged some venison uh, just in cryovac, and it it does pretty good. But I I just like to take me a good piece of tenderloin out of there or a piece of that backstrap. And if I'm doing them for hunters and I've got time – I'll go ahead and bone them out. I mean, leave that bone in there, do a little French bone presentation and try to cut them as thick as I can. And I take olive oil or avocado oil and some, uh, I have changed in the last year's Kerrygold butter. There's just something about that Irish butter that just makes everything better. And when you can mix butter and avocado oil, you're not going to burn your butter up. It's going to blend well to where you can have a higher sear point. And uh, anything beef, venison, bison, elk, moose, it's already been killed once. Don't overcook it and kill it again. You know We need to cook this stuff to where it's, especially on deer and elk, Uh, not much past rare. And I'll sear a good steak in there with one of them on a good cast iron skillet, bring it out, let it sit a minute, put me about four garlic cloves back in there, a little more butter, uh, some green onion, and uh, then I'll let that cook down Add me a little white wine or some red wine either. Uh, Just make sure that it's a dry wine. And uh, let it just reduce by half. Throw them steaks back in there and let them just sit there and simmer a minute and just bring that juice back up on top with a spoon. And it's a meal fit for a king, my friend.
1: Oh, man. I like the idea where you've gone with the smothered style, or at least like you've already pulled it out. The steak is ready to eat there at that point, but then you take it that one next step with the the garlic that you've already put in with the the butter and the avocado oil and then add the white wine to make the sauce in there and bring those back in. I think that's something that even I may may forget that it's you know I pull it out the steak's ready and I was so concerned about getting to the right temperature. I was so ready I, you know, I want it rare or I want it medium rare depending on whoever's going to eat it. But I never followed through with that extra step and I like where you took it and and brought it you back know in.
2: How- I've, I've cooked a lot, of, uh, a lot of elk on the grill uh, and, and it's fine. But I, if I'm gonna cook a piece of deer or elk on the grill, I'm gonna smoke it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna cut a whole, whole back strap out of there or I'm gonna get the whole tenderloin because I'm gonna make sure it's tender. And, um, and we marinate it. And just like with that deer steak or elk, if you've got time wrapped, you know, four hours ahead of time, just squeeze you a little lime juice on there. It don't take much. Uh, the acid there is a natural meat tenderizer. It's not going to mask any flavor. It's just going to break down muscle connective tissue, which makes it tender.
1: All right. Again, pro tips right there. Just taking it one step ahead. So this last one of our breakdown. This one, this one's going to take a little more thought. And uh, I, I don't know what happened, Ken, but for some other reason, you've been put on death row, sir. You're, uh, you're headed to the gallows. But you've been given your last meal request. I want you to lay out what is going to be your final meal. And I want to know what you're going to, how it's going to be prepared. What do you want with it? Because right now we're, we're buying time here. You know, you've, you've only got a short amount of time left, so you're going to have to be descriptive. What's going to be your death row meal?
2: Well, it's probably going to throw people for a loop, but it's probably going to be sushi. You know, Shan got me to eating sushi, I don't know, nine or 10 years ago, Uh, and I do love beef, and I've cooked thousands and thousands of pounds of it. But there's just something about the taste that when you can blend some really good, fresh sushi with the right kind of sauce, you know, and because that's what it's about. And the rice has to be just right. It can't be overdone. It can't be too sticky. It's got to be something that when it's crossed through there and you lay some little bitty thin strips of avocado on there and then you drizzle back on there with some probably some sriracha mixed in with some soy mixed in with some mayonnaise and uh, blend that back across top of that sushi. And then we're going to have some salad. And I do love a good Asian salad, but I'm going to put a little pork in mine and a little beef both. Uh, And then we're going to get on down there to where we're going to have a whole loaf of french bread but it's going to be basted with onion sesame and garlic and it's going to be really crispy on the outside i'm going to mix me up some balsamic vinegar some olive oil and some avocado oil with a little red pepper flake and i got something for that and then we're going to top that off with some good crown whiskey for a bread pudding sauce and some homemade bread pudding
1: i tell you that's a meal that the last thing you have, you're like, all right, I'm ready to leave this earth now. <laughs> well, Kent, so going with the sushi, have, has there been a time where you've had to make cowboy sushi, where you've had to get in there and make that rice just right and roll up maybe some uh, whatever you've got at the, at the ready, either a piece of, piece of fish or something?
2: Well, I have made sushi on the ranch, but it never had fish or rice. You know, we use a piece of Milanese steak or some top sort of one cap that is sliced oh so thin. It marinates for about four hours, and uh, it becomes your rice. You roll your sushi that way, because when you throw that on a searing hot fire that's licking flames, it don't take but about 30 seconds each side, and it's done. And uh, then you, we mix up a special sauce that we put in there, and then you go to, go to lay an avocado, jalapeno onion cucumber whatever you got roll it back up let it chill for a little bit and then you slice it just like sushi and then you make a a little cream sauce that's got a little smoke to it and pour over it and them cowboys didn't know it was called sushi they don't even know what day it was when they had it but they wanted more of it (laughs) Uh, and we we still fix it here every once in a while it's sort of a favorite of ours and um one of these days, I'm going to attempt to make my own sushi with rice. But uh, uh, I've got a place over here, not too far from us, that does a good job. It's a 38 mile drive, and I try to go over there about once a week. I don't
1: know. Sounds good. Well, hey, your secret is safe with us, Kent. That you uh, that you love sushi. That's a I did not expect that. That is definitely uh, from from right field there. So, hey, thank you for sharing with that.
2: Uh-huh, my friend.
1: Well, this has been an, an awesome time that we've got a chance to share. Um, where can my listeners find more if they already haven't found you, Kent? Uh, where's Where's your website at? Where's your YouTube channel? How can we find more from Kent Rollins?
2: Well, you know our website's just www.kentrollins.com, and uh, Shannon's come along and uh, and took that to a new level. Uh, the love of my life, she's a, a great producer. She's a great writer, uh, and she's worked with me on a lot of ranches. Uh, and there's not holidays. She just gets it done all the time, but, uh, she has put this website together. We've got a lot of stuff in the store, but there's always great things that are going on on that website. And then you can catch us on YouTube, just Cowboy Kent Rollins, and, uh, it'll get you there. There's a new video that comes out every Wednesday at two thirty central time. And we have about a million two hundred thousand subscribers now, <clears throat> pardon me. And, uh, New cookbook was released last March 17th, uh, Faith, Family, and the Feast, and become a bestseller. Our first cookbook, uh, Taste of Cowboy, came out in 2015, and it was also a bestseller. Uh, I can remember a story, Nick, when I was on a ranch right after it came out, and Shan called me late that evening, and she said, how's it going? I said, well, the wind blows just like it does at home. I said, been a long day, but a good day. And she said, I got big news. And I said, what's that? She said, our cookbook is the number Two book on Amazon, I said, in cookbooks. She said, No, all books. And I said, They got a lot of books. And she laughed and she said, About eight me. She said, You're a, you're ahead of Harry Potter. And I said, Is he a chef? She said, Never mind. And I just left it at that. But uh, no, nah, you can type Kent Rollins in somewhere and it'll get you something we got going.
1: Awesome. So the new release that you're having come out is Faith, Family, and Feast. That's the new one. Yeah. Yes, sir awesome i'm excited to get my hands on that one
2: it is something we took you know the title from uh a lot of our youtube watchers you know we have a very large faith-based crowd but a lot of people that really love family you know and it's it's got some some patriotism to it but it's got some good scripture in it but it's got a lot of great recipes that are fresh from the garden or off that grill or uh desserts that'll knock you out but um it's uh, got great pictures. Shan's a great photographer, and it's not just pictures of food. You know, this both books we completely did ourselves. Sure, somebody published them, but we were the writers, the authors, and the picture takers. So uh, it's it's been good.
1: Well, excellent. I'm going to have you hold on just a second, Kent. This has just been a, a great time, and I'm going to send my listeners on out. Folks, this has just been a great hour where we've got a chance to just connect here with Kent. And in this time right now where it's, we're, we're, we're beginning to get back out into the world, we're looking forward to elk camp. We're looking forward to trout camp or even family camp. Get out there. Get the coals hot. Make sure you get some wood on that fire. But always keep your knives sharp.